0: And welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by David Joyce. So David is an expert in human performance, having coached hundreds of elite athletes multiple world and Olympic champions and across multiple sports. And recently, David has edited the High Performance Training for Sport book, which is the second edition after the first one was such a success. So David is in a great position today to discuss how and why you should become the best possible coach which you can be. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome David onto the show. So, David, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for joining us. So, first things first, David, who are you
1: and what have you been up to until now? (laughs) That's a strange question to ask right off the bat. Um, yeah. <laughs> my, so I am a coach, I'm a physiotherapist, and I'm a strategist. And my job these days is to run a uh, high-performance sport strategy consulting firm called Synapsing, and we uh, help – Sporty organizations, individuals, and leaders uh, make the best decisions for themselves and their organizations in, in the world of sport. And outside of that, I'm a, a dad of, of two, two kids, Matilda, who's three, and Rory, who's five months, and they are both depriving me of sleep at the moment. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> oh,
0: excellent. You've just, uh, you just uh, co-edited, uh, co-authored or co-edited a book. Is that
1: right? yes yeah high performance training for sports uh second edition has uh just come out uh, about two weeks ago and uh yeah so that's that's um gone on bookshelves around the world and um uh yeah look we're 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 really 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 proud of it dan dan Lewand and uh my co conspirator and i we're we're very proud of the the final product so yeah thanks for thanks for you know shoehorning that in yeah,
0: of course mate of course i read the first one and uh, you very kindly said the second one so uh the the first one was excellent and i'm really looking forward to, to getting stuck into the next one as well
1: um yeah but- thank you the, the, yeah it's it's um i think most most new well second editions tend to be about 30 percent different this is about 80 percent different you know and there's um 16 new chapters and um, we've got 50 contributors from all over the show. So there, there's a real value proposition for people who, like yourself, who, like the first one, would would go out and, and see the, the value in the second one as well.
0: I'm really looking forward to it. And it makes you the perfect person today to discuss why uh, coaches need to improve themselves and how actually you can become the, the best coach that you can. Um, obviously, with all of that inside information as to how you can do that, uh, and writing a book about it, you're the perfect person to discuss how we can go about doing it in real life. So, first things first, why are coaches important?
1: I reckon, Matt, that the in in many cases, and I don't know if if, if this is the case with yourself, but out, outside your your mum and dad and brothers and sisters when when you're a kid if you're playing sport the coach is possibly the most important person in your life um they're the ones that that give you a real sense of how to how to play a game or how to play a sport but it's not just that it's the the everything that goes alongside it you know all the values and 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 morals that go with sport and how to deal with ups and downs and they really shepherd us through some of life's toughest moments and and I look back on the coaches that I had when I was a kid and that I still call coach you know mm. even even at my age of of 45 and um they were really instrumental in helping me become the person that I am and and hopefully the kids that um, that I have will have great coaches themselves. So, uh, look the, and that's that's looking at community level and then right up to high performance sport level, where I guess is the ecosystem which in which I'm mostly entrenched. The the coaches help us be better at our sport and better members of our community and better people. So, you know, they if if we gathered all of the professions into one building and set fire to the building, I reckon coaches would be in your first five groups of people that you try and rescue. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Just a disclaimer.
0: (laughs) Um, So excellent. Like coaches are top five, most important people that you would rescue from a fire. That's a super, uh, super (laughs) powerful metaphor.
1: Put that in your LinkedIn.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You'd rescue me from a fire. Top five. (laughs) i'm just after your cat um but um in terms of then uh why it's important so like we're, we're super important people potentially um why why then should we be working on our, our skills right so obviously we don't get born as the best coach in the world um some people become a really good coach very late in their life some people can coach really well very young how do we then work on improving our skills
1: well, if we think about what coaching is first and foremost, it, it, there's one thing that unites a coach of an under nines volleyball team to the coach of the, you know, uh, the the Italian um, Euro winning or the winners of the the European Cup in football, and that is they help curate an environment that is, um, fun, engaging, safe, and gets the most out of people. So that's, that's effectively, that's the red thread that unites everything. And if that's our MO, if that's what we do, then we should always be looking at ways to improve that because we're improving it. We're improving ourselves in service of our athletes. And I, there are coaches that are in it for themselves, but I would say 98% of coaches are in it for the athlete um, and the player. And it, that then provides us with the burning platform to always get better. And whether that's getting better in our knowledge, whether it's getting better in our capabilities, whether it's getting better with our experiences or our personal attributes, they're like the the, the golden four uh, domains, um. We owe it to ourselves to live an examined life in all of those, but we also owe it to the people we're serving, which are our athletes. So I think that provides a compelling case for for getting better.
0: I completely agree. I think there are probably very few coaches who are there for the – uh, for the glory and the name. Uh, certainly not for the salary. So, yeah, there's very. That's
1: official. That's official.
0: <laughs> I saw one. There, just just as a tangent, I saw one the other day it, it, in English pounds eighteen to eighteen and a half thousand a year. I was like, oh mate, just go work in Tesco's. It's way better. And on Sunday, you get double pay. And I guarantee you're not going to get that at that football club. It's, uh-
1: that's 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 true that's very true so so ultimately then why do we do it we do it because we love it we do it because it gives us a glow inside it and but primarily we do it because we love seeing people improve if we didn't see that we wouldn't be in this game so it ha- the the impact that we have on other people is great but it's it gives us this flood of of beautiful chemicals in our brains that keeps us addicted you know the dopamines the serotonins the oxytocins that's why we do it and so we don't i guess we don't get those flood of neurochemicals if we're not constantly improving and the people around us are improving so you know that that's i guess that's the neurochemical the neurophysiological reason why we do what we do
0: I think that's uh, it's lovely to put a physiological reason on it as well as uh, as a lot of the people listening will be uh, very physiological based. So that's excellent. Um so we we know why it's important, we know why we should be improving, but what are the key skills that we then need because you can't just walk up and be like right, I want to be the best coach in the world. Um cool, yeah. Then then go and do that. How how do we know which skills we need to be the best possible coach?
1: It's a very interesting area and one that I'm doing quite a bit of work on uh, at the moment within the Australian system, trying to understand what a success profile for coaches uh, actually looks like. And I guess the things that come to mind are... um, that it, it really does depend on the context in which you're you're working. So what makes a successful coach in under fourteen women's hockey or girls hockey is actually a little bit different to what it is in track and field at a master's level, you know? So but I, I, I talked about the golden four things, which is is um knowledge, capabilities, experience and personal attributes. So if we dig beneath that veneer a little bit, I think um the ability to understand the, the the tactics and the techniques of the sport is really important. And possibly the the technical aspects uh may in fact be even more important the lower down in the pathway you go, because you need to teach that very young and, and get those things grooved. And then when you get uh, you know increasingly higher up towards the pointy end there's a really strong case that you can make that maybe a lot of those things are, f- are reasonably well formed and the greatest um, skill set that a coach needs is actually um, influence and being able to bring a team together and create a cohesive and and safe uh, psychologically safe training and, and working environment and and getting the most out of people, so the human skills become even more important at that level, so there's an adaptability and a cognitive flexibility that that great coaches are able to demonstrate and be able to to extract the most the best performances day after day after day in their athletes um and and it is slightly contextual but the the bit about day after day after day is really important because i i'm not the only person that holds this view but i certainly hold it sh- strongly is that um that um compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world hmm. and what we what we see in the olympics for example um we we see, we see in sometimes half a second or 10 seconds or in the case of the marathon or or golf over 4 days um that's just a lagging measure of the compound interest that's that's the dividend that's paid of all the investments over over a sporting lifetime and so it's the the hard work is done in the training environment as Muhammad Ali famously said so um but you know arguably not arguably definitely more eloquently than I just did but the (laughs) the um you know that and the coach is the one that curates that. The coach is the one that that corrals the athletes and the performance support staff and and the parents in some cases together, so we get to see those end outputs does that does that make sense?
0: yeah, for sure i think it's it's a super interesting way of looking at things that it's not just. Oh, on one day in one session you can coach really well or you can have that influence on Monday in that training session and they can they can max out their squat or whatever um, or they they learn a new uh, trick in training whatever it might be uh, but actually if you're looking for success it needs to be every single day with a day off, maybe um, for four, 10 years in order to make sure that you're getting the increase in uh, physical development, mental development, technical development that you need to make sure you're performing at the top level. It's not just a one-off really good session. It's the cumulative effect of everything coming together over all the years. And that's uh, that's a really interesting way of looking at things.
1: Yeah. Spot on. So the, the trick in training that you just referenced there, that is just a trick in training. Um, and that's all it is. And on the very, very, very rare occasions, it may translate into something on the field, but it's going to be that 0.01 percenter, right? And the let, let's focus on the big rocks, the 99.99 percenters, um, which are the skills, the capabilities, the behaviours that are um, moulded, that are forged and reinforced over a sporting career and, that, and that's the most important thing so that's where the coach is the the gardener and not the carpenter
0: would you make an argument then for uh, athletes staying with coaches for a long time is it do you, do you think there's some there's something in an athlete staying with a coach maybe for 10 to 12 years of their career or would you think that uh some athletes can benefit from having a new coach every one or two years
1: I think what you've just said there is some athletes can, and and again, so it is very contextual, isn't it? So we've seen multiple examples where gold medalists, and we see this a lot in in track and field and in athletic and and in swimming, where the the gold medalist has had the same coach since they were in you know under nines, little athletics or something. They've just gone with that coach. They've they've developed this reputation, this this um. Uh, relationship which is fundamentally based on trust and shared experiences and you you can't you can't trade that away but that's not to say that every great experience or every great performance um, needs to have a coach-athlete relationship that is that is in excess of 10 years like that i think that's That's fundamentally false because relationships of all forms, whether it is sporting or romantic, uh, do change over time and some decay and some flourish. So it is very much based on on the context. And there are times where I've said to athletes, you need to go and find a new coach. I've taken you as far as I can go. And there are times where coach, where athletes have said the same to me: "Is uh, you've taken me as far as I can go. I need to go and see something else." And it's it's having that maturity to understand when that time happens. That that's actually a, a really positive step forward. It doesn't happen all the time, but it is important to recognise when it does happen.
0: I think that's uh, that's excellent stuff and really interesting to hear the, the potential differences. And off the back of that then, how do you think that athletes can find their perfect coach? Like, obviously, there's there's going to be uh, some athletes listening who are thinking, oh, I, maybe I don't have the perfect coach or maybe I need a coach. Um, how do they go about finding the, the best fit for them?
1: I think the last bit you've said there is really important is about the, the best fit. Uh, I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect coach uh, and in the same way there's there's no one perfect person um or perfect wife or perfect husband or perfect employee we're all we've all got our edges and we've all got areas that we need to improve on and we need to dial back and and those sorts of things I guess the thing which is most important is not considering whether you're the perfect coach or they're the perfect athlete or you're the perfect athlete and they're the perfect coach, is understanding whether whether the jigsaw puzzle pieces fit together. And so I go back to what you've just said about fit, and that's the bit. You know, it's it's less is is my boyfriend or my girlfriend perfect, and it is does our relationship work? And I I think that's a really important bit to emphasize because if you're always thinking about perfect, you're coming from a bit of a deficit perspective. You're going, well, no one's perfect, so my my coach is less than perfect, therefore I need to keep looking for the perfect coach. Um, And I think you're destined to a life of misery if that's the case. Hmm. Whereas what you should be looking for is, is there a? Do I have a really good fit, or if not, could I get a better fit? And what is my role in this fit equation? So fit, in my perspective, and I do a lot of executive coaching, so I talk about this quite a bit. Is fit is a, an equation of three parts. The first one being, you know, what my skills are, what my, what I bring to the table. That I'm a, I'm a round peg right? So you need to know yourself, what your values, your mission, purpose, all those sorts of things are. Then it is understanding what it is that you're looking for. And so if I'm talking about a coach, what is it that I'm looking for in an athlete? Now, for me, I look for coachability. I look for um, a skill set or an athletic profile in which I know I can make an impact with. And then the third bit is, um, so that's understanding that I'm looking for a round hole. And then it is understanding whether um the athlete that I'm dealing with is that round hole like do they have the um the the requirements or do they have the skills and the re- the things that I require for us to have a really good partnership and then going right well we seem to have a good fit does the marriage and I use that term advisedly does that actually work and you don't really know until you give it a crack right like <laughs> on paper you can see that um this boy or this girl seems like a perfect match for me but it's only when you've had a number of dates and you can see you know how how well you deal with conflict um that you know oh well they they're, they're going to be a really good match for me so the the relationship becomes part of it so it's no longer just me and the athlete it's actually the the alchemy that happens between them so they become almost the third part of the relationship so um yeah, long long answer to a seemingly simple question. I just don't think there is a simple answer to it, I'm afraid, Matt. So, I, you know, this is not going to be one that you can neatly package up into a 140-character tweet, I'm afraid. Sorry.
0: <laughs> uh, we'll do our best, but uh, it doesn't have to be like that. The world is slightly more complex sometimes. <laughs>
1: Oh no, you're, you're, you're just, you're probably way more articulate and eloquent than I am, so I'll, I'll leave you to, to
0: reduce it. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I waffle endlessly, mate. That's, uh, that's a different story. Um, but in terms of, uh, in terms of continuing the, the podcast and before we get onto how much I'm gonna, waffle on because i'm doing it um i want to know how coaches can improve the skills that they need in the most methodical and maybe logical way um the best way for them so how do coaches then when they've identified the skills that they need which you've mentioned earlier how do they go about improving these skills to make sure that they're improving their fit for the athletes around them
1: yeah it's a good question and um it does depend on uh how well you take the inventory and i think humans uh where we won't necessarily be great at having uh, a fully well-rounded uh, view of our strengths and weaknesses so it is helpful to have an external person or a group of of people that can act as a bit of a mirror to say what you're doing well what you can uh what you can improve upon um so whether that's technical or tactical or or whatever I think we've got a bit of a sense but there's a saying is that you can't fix a mind with the with your own mind so you've got to you've actually need to have some other people's perspectives on it so i, I would encourage people to do that first and then get a bit of an inventory about what it is that you need and and if it's a knowledge thing it's it's about going and getting that knowledge so that may take the form of reading um books and you know high performance training for sports second edition is just out. Um or or it may in fact be speaking to mentors or people that are really strong in that particular area. Um, it may be going and doing a master's degree. Um, I, I, I disagree that there is one size fits all. Um, so I think having a portfolio of different ways of approaching this is really smart so um you know if you if you're a um a strength coach and you think that you you're really strong with periodizing but you just need some help with with tapering for example is going to speak to people that have got really strong skill sets in that regard whether that's academically or or in an applied setting so it's i guess It is, it means that you need to undertake a bit of a depth chart of, you know, where am I, where am I strong in and where are my growth edges? But then also, and this is an important point is understanding what you need to maximize and what you need to satisfy and So there are the things that you want to maximize are the things that you want to spend a lot of time getting just really, really, really good at. So they're your one woods, right? So you wanna have you wanna have a couple of really big clubs that you can rely on. And that's what you base your your reputation, your brand on. So if you're the um You know, a really, really good coach at developing strength in youth athletes. That's what you need to get really good at. That's where you invest most of your resources. Um, but there are other aspects where you may just want to satisfy, which is maybe you want to have a level of knowledge, which gives you the ability to recognize what you, um, what you need to know and to when to seek help. And that might be in injury rehab or something or it might be in physiology or whatever it is because there's a trade-off, right? You can't be the world's best strength coach, power coach, flexibility coach, um, injury rehabber, um, physiologist, psycho- you, you simply can't do all of that because there are trade-offs, right? And so it's about recognising where you're going to have the most impact, and developing a network of people around you and a skill set or a resource set around you whereby you can get in and get the amount of information you need without sacrificing the time you spend on your one wood. Does that kind of answer the question?
0: Yeah, that's some excellent advice and I think is it's really interesting that it's it's maybe books, it's maybe courses, it's maybe uh, a master's degree, but it's it's also maybe people. And that's a huge uh, a huge lesson I think for a lot of uh, a lot of coaches is that you can you can network to find jobs and you can network to to improve your career but you can also network to improve how you're performing as a coach and that just means talking shop with some uh, some coaches and that's uh, that's and a really interesting interesting viewpoint
1: and it's possibly all of those things so the thing we know about um coach development and developing coaches is one of the most effective ways of doing this is through what's called a community of practice. And that is where you have a, a group of people with diverse but complementary skill sets um, that are all facing similar sorts of challenges and you have a, you know, maybe one topic that you discuss. And it might let's just say it is um uh tapering Before a a big event in a team sport or something, and you're sharing knowledges, sharing knowledge and challenges and pain points and, and all these sorts of things. And you're getting the wisdom of the crowd here. Um, and that we know that that is one of the most effective learning mechanisms that we have. So, um, and that's an example of, of a people sourced way of developing. Um, and and it's fantastic. It's not going to be the only thing, but we know it's a really effective thing.
0: I think that's absolutely excellent. And before you leave, because I'm conscious that we, we are short on time, I want to get a quick case study from your life. So how have you, at some point in your life, improved your coaching? Um, and have you got a, a little story to go with that?
1: Uh, so all the time, and I I think that I'm, on a journey, and I'm hopefully not even a third of the way through, you know. Um, and I, I, I try as hard as I can to have a beginner's mindset with this sort of stuff. So I'm learning all the time. I guess one of the things that um, I've learnt, like fe- re- recently-ish, like in the last five to to seven years, is the importance of having. A, a network around you and being somewhat adaptable with with the way you express yourself in terms of your values so we we talk a lot about authenticity um which is is really important and you know most people would say that that is a, a, a really important value that they hold and rightfully so but I think we can get a little bit too caught up with what authenticity means and and be a little bit too rigid with I am always going to be the person that tells the truth, which is good, um, but it can come at a cost. Now I'm never saying that you don't tell the truth, but there are times where you don't have to say everything that's on your mind. And I've learned that to you know my detriment over the over the journey. But um I guess one of the things that I'd always valued was um, hard work and, and making making sure that um, I was uh, – I've got a really strong sense of justice and that I wanted to model the behaviours that I expected in others. And so when, you know, she'd hit the fan with with um, things that were maybe not going quite so well in sporting environments that were I was in, I doubled down on my hard work and really what I needed to do was probably look up and, and wine and dine the board a little bit more because that would give me some air cover um, rather than people just creating their own narrative about what was going on. Um, so I guess the some really important coaching things that I um, I've learned over the last decade is the importance of being able to step off the balcony when you need to – sorry, step off the dance floor when you need to and get up on the balcony – and be able to go, right, well, what's really happening here? And you need to be able to get down onto the dance floor where you can feel the the pulse of the music and the sweat and you can see the the tiles in in minute detail. And I think that's where a lot of coaches like to live. But the really good coaches, the really good leaders can actually step up onto the balcony and have a much broader view of what's going on. And I guess that's one of the, the big journeys that I've been on over the last decade of is being able to understand the difference between the two and, and be able to be cognitively flexible and understand when you need to, to get down and feel the pulse of the nightclub and when you need to get up and have a bit of a broader view.
0: I think that's some absolutely excellent advice and a really interesting insight into the, the political side of, uh, of coaching as well, because it's not as simple as X's and O's, uh, squats, sets and reps, or uh, a 20-minute uh, passing drill. It's, uh, it's a little bit more complex than that sometimes, and uh, you can easily lose your job if the people on the balcony don't really like you very much.
1: Well, I guess that's, that's the point, isn't it? So most coaches get recruited because of their technical and tactical expertise, and we see this around the sport irrespective around the world irrespective of the sport but the the ones that get fired are the ones that don't are, that can't actually navigate the politics of the whole thing and i guess you know if i can give the book one little plug if that's all right with you one of the things we've tried to do is actually um bring in some of these other nuances to coaching. It's not just the X's and O's. We've got the X's X's and O's in here about strength development, about aerobic capacity and anaerobic capacity, but we've got Brett Bartholomew talking about the importance of influence. We've got Nick Winkleman talking about uh, um, the language of coaching. We've got um, Duncan French talking about how we can translate from – um, the gym onto sporting performance because ultimately that's what performance is, isn't it? Like it's it's a complex output of – oh, sorry, it's an output of a complex system. Um, and the best coaches like yourself and like the great Rhett Larson, who we both know, <laughs> are ones that can actually see the broader connections between absolutely all aspects of performance. And you, you raised the – the um the point early on about you know the the um the the back squat um records and all those sorts of thing it's about understanding that the reason why an athlete can break a record in a back squat is partly to do because with the strength coach understanding the the biomechanics of it and and the overload principles and programming and tapering and all those sorts of things that's part of it absolutely but they couldn't do it unless they had the, the the physios working in the background to make sure their lumber mechanics were good and the nutritionists dealing with that side of things and, you know, all, all these other things. So sport, there's no, there's no aspect of performance or sporting performance that exists as an island. Um, and so doing the 20-minute passing drill that you talked about about 10 minutes ago, that's going to get you good in um, – doing a 20 minute passing drill that's not necessarily going to get you good in translating it into performance and that's kind of one of the things that we've been so passionately advocating in this in this book
0: i think that's uh, that's some excellent advice mate and i'm conscious that i'm stealing your uh, your children's time so i think it's about time that we uh we rounded up but david massive thanks for your time today i really appreciate it and i really enjoy the podcast as well so massive thanks
1: no thanks very much for for having me on i'm a i'm a fan of the podcast matt and and it's um it's a it's a real privilege to to come on and chat to you today
0: thank you very much buddy cheers thank you and that's it once again a massive thanks to david for all of his hard work on today's podcast i really appreciate it and i'm sure you do at home too Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a range of great lectures in there for you. All you need to do is to get seven days completely for free using the link in the show notes. So click that link in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, I would love it if you could take just a brief second to give us a like and a share on social media. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me, I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.